Let me invite you if you have a Bible or if you'd like to turn in your, your phone or your iPad or on, you can watch on the screen in a couple of minutes. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 14 in just a few minutes. Uh, we're in a four-week uh, season of vision and provision at Green Tree. If you have been a Green Tree for a little while, you know that uh, this is the time of year where we uh, make our uh, financial commitment for the for the next year, the next couple years as it has been uh, in recent years. And that's what we'll be doing again on Provision Sunday, three weeks from today. And so our teaching time on Sunday morning is, is leading up to that Sunday to, to, uh, to r- try to make sure that we understand what God has to say to us about his provision and about how we're part of that. So Yesterday, Cindy and I celebrated 34 years of marriage. November 7th is our anniversary. And so, uh, you know, we made a big deal out of it. We actually went out with some friends on Friday night. Uh, we made a big deal out of it. She had her sweat clothes or her workout clothes on. I had on shorts and a hoodie sweatshirt. And we went to the mall and then we went and got some Chinese food. I know you're impressed. I mean, I'm a hopeless romantic and, uh, I know I knocked that one out of the ballpark. I actually did get her a, a nice gift. But we're walking into the, the mall about, I don't know, about 5 or 5.30 yesterday afternoon. And, uh, you know, we're, we're dressed casually. And um, this woman comes walking to us. And, and the, when I looked up, my first thought was she should be like on a runway somewhere. She's like dressed to the nines. I mean, there's nothing out of place in this person's wardrobe. And they're walking towards me and she walks by us and my wife looks at me and she says, did you like her outfit? (laughs) It's easy for you to laugh. (laughs) And I was scared. (laughs) Because there just isn't anywhere to go there. So... No, I didn't like her outfit. It looked silly. What's wrong with your taste? I thought she looked great. You what? <laughs> Gentlemen, understand. That's, that's the unanswerable question. But when my wife asked me a question, when Cindy asked me questions like that, I think she will tell you that I tell her the truth. So she said to me before, do you like the way I've got my hair cut? And I said, no, I, I, I'd like it better the other way. I try to be honest with her. I think she deserves that from me. I try to be loving in all things, but I fail at that as well. But I do try to be honest. So I said to her, I know, I really, that's, I didn't like it at all. That's not, that's not my style. I just, ugh. really, I kind of liked it. I said, well, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. But she goes, you know, you didn't like those boots. And I'm like, I really, I just didn't like it. Um, but I'm just trying to tell you the honest truth about, about how I feel. Uh, last week, I, I tried to, uh, in, in the sermon, I tried to present the honest fact that I think when we begin to talk about generosity, we kind of start to get scared, start to get nervous. Is, is God going to, you know, like demand too much of me? Is he going to take too much? Am I going to feel guilty that I give more than I really want to give? And when we start talking about this topic, everybody gets just a little bit nervous, like you're walking next to your spouse and you get a question that you really didn't want to get. As we move towards Provision Sunday, one of the things that we, that we said, Scripture is trying to teach us is that we ought not be afraid, that we should live lives of faith, not lives of fear. Now, that's not just in the topic of generosity. That's in all area, areas of our lives. I, somebody commented to me afterwards that that helped them be less fearful with their children. And, and as their children got older and got a little bit more freedom, that, that passage of Scripture helped them. And I was, I was delighted 
to, to hear that kind of response because it's not just in the area of generosity. But as we move towards Provision Sunday, my question today is if it's not fear, then what is it? If fear doesn't control your generosity and fear doesn't control my generosity as we seek to be godly and Christ-like in that, then what will? That's where I want us to turn. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. I think Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answers this question uh, abundantly well for us today. Paul uh, writes this, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And if he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might, be, might become the righteousness of God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, as we have worshiped you with our voices and our hearts and our emotions this morning, thinking about that last song we sang, Jesus paid it all. Uh, and Chip's very poignant question, do we really believe that? If we do, it changes everything. So, Lord, I pray that your gospel would not just be words that we sing on Sunday morning, but would be the power that permeates our lives, that makes everything new. Doesn't mean it makes everything easier, everything simple, or all of our issues go away. Far from that. Rather, it gives us a steadiness of mind and of spirit. It gives us a deep and abiding faith that tells us we can trust in you. So, Lord, as we exercise the sacrament of baptism this morning. That was an exercise in trust. We're saying, Lord, that we know you are the one who must save. And we're praying that we could be partners with you and that we could be messengers that deliver. We could be ambassadors that, that share the gospel with our children. Fathers, we think about this in, in terms of our generosity. We pray for your teaching and for your understanding in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would guard us against my wisdom and anything that I would say that, that I would think would be important and rather that we would hear your word and your word alone. Father, please forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your message this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you the sermon in a sentence. It is simply this. When the love of Jesus controls his disciples, fearless generosity is one of the outcomes. When the love of Jesus controls his disciples, fearless generosity will be one of the outcomes. It's one of the outcomes. Not the only outcome. There are a lot of other outcomes as well. But for our purposes this morning, it certainly is one of them. 
So I went back and I looked for synonyms to the word control, and there's a whole bunch of them. So you can take your pick, just jurisdiction, sway, power, authority, command, dominance, government, mastery, leadership, rule, sovereignty, supremacy, ascendancy, charge, management, direction, supervision, and superintendence. I don't care which one you pick. <laughs> Doesn't matter, but find one that works for you. When we're talking about control, we're talking about the control of Jesus, the love of Jesus controls us. Paul says, Paul saying, the love of Jesus has authority in my life. The love of Jesus has the final rule in my life. The love of Jesus is in charge of my life. That, that's where he said, and now there are other things in our lives. There are other phrases that are very common to us that would suggest that other things may be in control of our lives. Let me just give you a couple of very simple examples. You can say, I'm frozen by fear. Okay. Fear is the dominating force in your life at that particular moment. You can say, I'm starved for attention. Maybe, maybe uh, you, you, know, you haven't had somebody that, that's really loved you well, and you just you want some attention. You want somebody to affirm you as a person. Uh, but you're putting it in, in that term of, I'm, I'm starved. There's something negative that's happening in my life that's controlling my life right now. You might say you're haunted by your past. And, and that particular experience or those particular experiences are in some way severely handicapping you as you are trying to live out your life experience. So we all understand control. We all un- understand the notion that there are, there are emotions, there are experiences in our lives that can dominate our lives, can dominate our decision-making ability, can dominate our emotional attachments can lead us to things that are very healthy and lead us to things that are very unhealthy. What would it actually mean for you and me, if we're disciples of Jesus this morning, to actually have his love control our lives and in particular control our generosity? Well, let's talk about about Jesus's controlling love first. Let's define that. uh, And just very briefly, I want to give you just a, a couple of points about this. The first is found in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. The love of Jesus compelled him to go to the cross for you and me. That's why in our back window, if the shades were all the way up, you could see that there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six crosses across the back window. If you go out in the lobby, there's a big cross in the back window. If the shades are up at night and you're driving by and the lights are turned on, you can see that cross from all the way out on Kirkwood Road. Why? Because the cross reminds us of the love of Jesus. That's how far he went to save you and to save me. That's what his love looks like. But it's not just that he died uh, for our sins, but he also died in order that we could have new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. There's a new life that actually comes in and abides in my life. We call him the Holy Spirit. We say we are renewed or we are regenerated. For those of you in my generation, just think about the movie Young Frankenstein, right? And, and, and there's Gene Wilder, give my creature life. And then it, it becomes life and all kinds of funny and weird things happen. But the notion of something was dead is now alive. That's what, that's what God has done for us. We were dead in our sins, Paul says in Ephesians t- chapter 2. But now we're what? We're alive in Christ. That's how Jesus uses his love for us in order not only to, to die for our sins, but to, to make us alive. He also says in verse 18, has given us forgiveness. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled the world to himself. That is, in Christ, God was not counting their trespasses against them. In other words, 
you needed God's forgiveness. I needed God's forgiveness. I've offended a holy God. I heard a political candidate recently say, I, don't, I can't think of anything for which I need God's forgiveness. I thought, you are living in a serious land of denial. I mean, that is really a scary place to be. Do you honestly think you've never hurt anyone else? Say, well, that's that got to do with God. Well, God created that person. If you hurt them, you hurt God. If you lie to that person, you lie to God. If you're unfaithful to that person, you're unfaithful to God because they're made in the image of God. They're one of his creation. And God's jealous for his creation. And Jesus says, my love compels me to go to the cross to give you new life through the forgiveness of your sins. That's what Jesus' love looks like. And one other is this. His love gives us a new identity in God. What happened in verse 21? For our sake, I'm I'm going to put a little different wording on this. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we who know sin might become the righteousness of God, might be identified by righteousness, might be in perfect right standing with God. That's what the love of Jesus has done in the life of every one of his disciples. The reason we showed that video at the beginning of the, of the worship service, uh, the I like fast cars, right, was this notion of someone who understood that, that what he had was not just given to him to hold on to, but was given for him to help others. And, and where did that notion come from? Where the notion of I could, I could help children who maybe even be terminally ill have a moment of joy, have a moment of relief, have a moment of excitement that they might not otherwise share because I have this way, this, this tool that I can do. I can take them for a drive on a Saturday afternoon and, and just give them a little bit of happiness. Where does that thought come from? It comes from God himself. That's how the love of God is expressed in our life. We have a new identity That's what the love of Jesus looks like. So what would it look like for that love to control your life and for that love to control my life? And I have three thoughts on that out of this text. The first one is, I believe it gives us a new view of Jesus. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh. So Paul is saying this, that I've had a change of opinion about Jesus in my life. What was his opinion about Jesus before he came to faith? Well, you could say that he was disinterested. You could even say he was antagonistic. Paul heard the message of Jesus, heard it from a lot of people around him, and he hated it. He hated it so badly that he spent his time trying to put people in prison who believed in Jesus. He didn't just, you know, write an op-ed piece about it in the, you know, the Jerusalem Daily Planet and say, I don't really like those Christians. I think they're narrow-minded and foolish and silly. He actually tried to imprison them. He spent his time persecuting Christians and he hated the name Jesus. So when, when Paul talks about we, we regarded Jesus according to the flesh, what he's saying is I, not only did I not have any room for him, but I really was antagonistic towards him. He was, he was my enemy. But look at what he says in verse 15, or verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. We've convinced us that he has died one for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says, I was an enemy of God, but now I'm actually living for him. We're not enemies anymore. I've actually joined his team. I'm I'm actually an enthusiastic supporter of, of the Lord Jesus. He has become everything to me. 
Now, I've been thinking about how to, how to put this in, in modern terms, and, and I know there are a handful of families at Green Tree Community Church that were born and raised in Webster, and they don't get to live in Webster anymore. I don't know what they did wrong, but they sent them over here at Kirkwood. And so now they're, now they're, now they're living at Kirkwood, and, and the colors red and white just make their skin crawl. And yet their kids are starting to go to schools where they come home and want to wear red and white clothes. Or we're getting close to the Turkey Day game. And, and, and their kids, if they haven't been brainwashed too badly, are going to start cheering for the pioneers instead of the statesmen. And they're just not quite sure what to do with that, right? I'm pretty sure Paul had a moment like that. I'm pretty sure Paul went, oh my gosh, I'm going to do what? <laughs> I'm going to be on Jesus' side? This can't, this can't possibly be right. I, it, it's the polar opposite of everything I've ever been taught and experienced. And yet that's what the love of Jesus did to Paul. It changed him to his very core and how he thought about Jesus. I believe that the love of Jesus does that. I believe it does it in your life and in my life. When, when we put our trust in him, he changes literally our mind. We have a new view about him. He's no longer our enemy. He's no longer a nuisance. He's no longer an antagonist, but rather he is our savior. He is our Lord. He is our older brother. He is the great lover of our souls. But secondly, I think not only does it uh, change our view of Jesus, I think a a life controlled by Jesus's love gives us a new view of mankind. Paul says in verse 16, from now on then we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. So not only was Paul disinterested in Jesus, not only was he bothered by Jesus, but people in general bothered Paul. (laughs) They just, you know, they seem to be somewhat of a nuisance. And and I want you to think for just a minute here, because I know uh, so many of us, uh, God's changed our lives and we really do care deeply for people. But I want to think about apart from Christ. If you take your faith out of it, what is your attitude towards the rest of mankind? I I, I know that that we live in a polite society. We try to be nice. I know that we, we try to not go out of our way to hurt other people's, but how short's your, your fuse when somebody really does something that bothers you? How angry do you become when somebody just, whatever that pet peeve is of yours, you know, and they, and they cross that line, how quick do you snap? I snap very quick. And that's with Jesus. <laughs> Think about what I was like before Jesus and how the Lord needs to begin to control that. I, my view of mankind was, you know, I think I could say indifferent or at times antagonistic. I read a great quote this week. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Let me just read this for you. Most people are so mind-boggling aggravating that it is impossible to overreact to them. (laughs) I love that. Most people are so mind-bogglingly aggravating that it is impossible to overreact to them. I think about that's Tom Ricks apart from Christ. You just, you're going to get under my skin. And yet when Christ comes in, Paul says, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. But what's happened? We implore you, Paul says in verse 19, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you hear the change in the tone? Do you hear his heart breaking for those people that don't know Jesus? Do you hear now this primary concern in his mind that it's no longer about what Paul wants or what Paul needs or what's best for Paul, but rather what can I possibly do? How can I, how can I beg you enough? How can I paint the picture clear enough? I, I will do anything I possibly can, Paul is saying, for you to understand the grace of God and Jesus. Why? Because Paul now has a heart of compassion. Where did that compassion came from? It came from knowing Jesus. Paul's view of mankind was changed because he knows Jesus. I was reading in, uh, in the, uh, the internet this morning, the news. I was looking at the news this morning, and I saw that, that some of the black uh, football players at Mizzou have uh, 
uh, gone on strike against the football team because of how a fellow student has been treated on that campus. And I read that article, and I began to think about what it would be like to be uh, an African-American in Columbia, Missouri, and be on that campus and have something like that happen to me, or to be a father of an African-American child who was on that campus and, had, and be treated that way. And I came to think, you know what? You know, regardless of where you think they're doing it the right way or the wrong way, they have a very valid point. And their point needs to be heard. And their point needs to be understood. Then I started scrolling down and reading the responses, which was a huge mistake, which is a terrible mistake. It put me in an awful frame of mind. Because I, I, I read literally the first 15 because I kept thinking I was going to find a good one. I kept thinking I was going to find somebody and say, you know what, these kids are standing up for themselves, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I was looking for somebody to say, you know, I wouldn't necessarily do it that way, but, you know, have any of us ever, you know, been, been screamed at as they're walking down the sidewalk simply because of the color of their skin? And I couldn't find one. It's just a- anger, hatred, malice, self-righteousness, one after the other. Friends, if you're putting hope in this world apart from Christ— and you think people are going to start treating each other better apart from Christ? I will say with all humility, I think you got your head buried in the sand and you're not dealing with reality. Our hearts apart from Christ. Yes, they're capable of doing some good things from now and then, but primarily, at best, we are disinterested, indifferent. And more often, we can be antagonistic towards our, our fellow man. But the love of Jesus can give us a generous heart towards our brothers and sisters, towards our fellow humans. A life controlled by Jesus' love gives us a new view of, of Jesus, gives us a new view of mankind. But thirdly, a life controlled by the love of Jesus gives us a new view of ourself, which I think is, is absolutely essential. Look at verse 18. Paul says, All this from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, here's the wrong way to read that verse, Okay. God gave Paul and his companions a ministry of reconciliation, but he's not talking to me. If you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, you have the same ministry Paul has. I have the same ministry that Paul has. You don't have to work at a church to have a ministry. You have a ministry in your life. You have a ministry if you have children in your home, if you work someplace, if you have a neighbor with whom you interact, if you're, if you're living anywhere other than a, a place where there's complete silence and you never speak to another human being, you have the ministry of reconciliation. We need to read that verse the way it says. Paul's view of himself has changed. And he understands now greater his responsibility. His responsibility in calling himself a disciple of Jesus means that he sees uh, this message as his message, that he is now a messenger of the grace of God. Secondly, he also sees uh, an impassioned uh, partnership with God. In verse 20, therefore, we are our ambassadors for Christ. So we're not representing ourselves. We're not, Paul's saying, I'm not rep- representing the Corinthians church. I'm representing Jesus. We're not representing Green Tree. We're representing the Lord Jesus. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul understands that if he is in Christ, he is now a partner with God for the souls of the people around him. He's going to be a tool that's going to be used in the hands of God to care for others. And so he sees not only that he is a messenger of grace, but he's actually impassioned. We implore you. I come back to that, the emotion of that word, that Paul is impassioned by this partnership. He doesn't want it to fall on deaf ears. He wants to do all he can to give everything he can in order for others to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, I got an email last week from, from one of our members who was showing me a website, a, a group to which she belongs, and the group is called Win the Saints. And I went and I looked at the website, and it's a, a website that uh, works in, uh, not the website doesn't, but it represents people who are working in Africa in different countries to set up, excuse me, I will tickle my throat, to set up uh, ministry opportunities that will work against human trafficking. And they had just one example of the country of Malawi, and they put some statistics up there, which I'm not going to take time to read for. You can go and look at it. It's called Win the Saints. Um, and they talked about the efforts that they were trying to do to raise leadership within that nation to address this problem. And any giving you get, any giving you get would go to that purpose, would go to helping stop human trafficking in Malawi. And I was so excited to read that because there's so many stories like that. If we took time to go around this room, there'd be so many stories of you could stand up and you could say, well, here's what God's put on my heart. And it might be to be a Stephen minister. You might say, well, here's what God's put on my heart. I, I love teaching our kids in Sunday school, although if you did, you wouldn't be here. You'd be downstairs, although it might be your week off, so that might be yours. Um, you know, it might be that, that I love uh, spending time with Hope Unlimited, tutoring kids after school. Could be that, that you love being generous in, in another way, but there would be so many stories of how God's generosity is working through us. And I think the sum and substance of everything that I have said last week and everything I'm going to say up till two weeks from now is just let it flow. Let it go. Just let it be God's work in your life. Yeah, Green Tree needs to be part of it because Green Tree is your family. Absolutely, you need to be financially committed to Green Tree. I need to be financially committed to Green Tree. It's where we get fed. It's where we get nourished. It's our spiritual family. It's our little corner of the world where God's pulled us together for whatever reason to walk together to share the gospel with others. But, but just let that generosity go in whatever area God has impassioned you. It'll be fun. It'll be joyful. It will be exciting to see. And, and if you have other stories like that, shoot me emails because I love reading them. I love hearing how God is working in all of our lives. Uh, and my last thought on this life controlled by Jesus as a new view of self is that Paul understands that all this is from God and because of God's grace. He's a recipient of God's generosity. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin. And he knew no sin. Jesus had never sinned, didn't sin in his human life, never sinned in his preexistence. He was, he was one with the Father, and yet he became sin. And I've said this before, but maybe you're newer to Green Tree. I'll say it again. When God looked at the cross and he saw his son and he poured out his wrath on the cross, he, he, Jesus went to hell for you and for me. He stopped seeing his son's face and he started seeing yours. And he started seeing mine. And he acted appropriately. He judged our sin for what it deserves. And Jesus became all my garbage. I'd use a stronger word, but there are children in the room. He saw my filth. And that's how compelled Jesus was to save. And he saw yours. And the father sent his son to hell because that's what sin deserves. And Paul realizes that. Notice how he writes this. For our sake, Paul puts himself right in the middle of this. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that, so that me and my folks might become the righteousness of God. We have a new identity. It's an identity of grace. We are recipients of God's grace. We are recipients of God's generosity. What then should be the outcomes in our lives? So a lot of times I'll say application. This morning I'm going to say, what are the outcomes? 
Could they be? And I'm just going to throw out a couple of, of examples for you to, to maybe get you thinking this way in, in this direction. What is an outcome of a life controlled by Jesus' love? Well, think, the first thing I think is that it sees all of life through the lens of God's generous grace to me. I start with, with understanding that apart from Christ, I'm really a mess and I'm lost, but in Christ, I'm the righteousness of God. I, I'm the perfection of Jesus. Now, when God looks at me, he, does, he doesn't see my junk. It's been forgiven. He sees the glory of his son, and I'm an adopted son of God. And if, and if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you're an adopted son. You're an adopted daughter. You're a princess. You're a prince of God Almighty. That's what he sees when he looks at you, and that's the thing that changes everything. And I believe that one of the outcomes is that we'll begin to look at the world through that lens. Say, God's been generous with me, therefore, where does that go? And I think God will answer that question for us. Secondly, I think one of the outcomes is that we will pray for and actively seek opportunity to join God's mission in the world. That's the beauty about the body of Christ. It's so diverse. It's so, so many different gifts because there's so many different needs in this world and there's so many different ways people come to faith in Christ. There are people that, that, that happens over a cup of coffee. There are people that that happens through a friendship. There are people that that happens when they, when they show up at a church and they hear a sermon. It happens all kinds of different ways. And that's why all of us have different gifts and different abilities, not just to build up the body of Christ, but to share the gospel with others. And I believe one of the outcomes of receiving God's generosity is that you begin to actively pray for and seek the chance to join with God, to be one of those, as Paul said, ambassadors. And lastly, I think it gets into our lives and we begin to practice every day fearless generosity. We begin to just practice it. it like I said, it just begins to flow out of our lives. I believe that God has called us to fearless generosity. But what I really believe is that God has called us to live under the control of the love of Jesus. Let's pray. I'm going to give you just a moment for silent prayer this morning, and I'm going to just ask you to ask God to speak into your heart in any way he wants to, and then I'll close our prayer in just a minute. But I'm going to give you a chance for, for a time of prayer. Father, I thank you for your life-giving word. I thank you for the joy of this passage of scripture. How for Paul, everything just got completely turned upside down because of your grace and because of your compassion. And what was once hatred in his heart and a disinterest in his fellow man and an, and a, and an attitude of antagonism was turned into a recipient of grace who generously gave his life in service for the gospel of Jesus. Father, I pray that that spirit would rule and reign at Green Tree Community Church. Lord, it, it, certainly I pray that we would be generous with our finances. We, we need to invest in your kingdom. But Lord, I pray that you would just um, let us be generous with the gifts you've given us, with our personalities, 
what the passion is. That's what I loved about that video, just watching that guy get a kick out of taking kids for a ride in a car. There's so many stories like that. There's so many ways that you've wired us to, to be generous in that way. So Lord, I pray that this, this spirit of being controlled by the love of Christ would, would permeate every aspect of our lives, individually as well as a congregation, and that your will would be done in and through your spirit of, of generosity as your love controls us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.